Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Sophie. I'm a musician and artist. I live in Vienna, Austria. Um, but I have a complicated history of where I'm from, I guess, because that's a question that usually gets asked a lot. Um, yeah, and that's really it's really about it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't ask you that question because I, I get the same all the time as well. Like yeah. the whole, like, why are you from? Why do you sound like I that? Oh, all I that. know. I know. Then I have to be like, I was born in California and I grew up there. And then my family moved. Like I, I keep having to retell it and it just gets worse and worse every time. Have you seen um, I Heart Huckabees and it's Jude Law and he has to tell the Shania Twain story? No, I haven't actually. And he's eating this that. tuna. It's a really good movie. Oh my God. Jason <laughs> Schwartzman is so good in it. Like... I mean, I love it's him. One of, He's great. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I should watch that. But um, actually, well, I don't know if this is like super awkward, but I just wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of your music. I love oh, your album. Wow, well, thank you. <laughs> um, and so this is like a real honor to have you on the podcast. Wow. Thank you so much. That's so cool. Um, I'm always glad to know people are out there and listening. Yeah, I've been like promoting it to everyone as well. So thank you. Amazing. You should go listen to it. Um, But well, the reason I invited you on here today was to talk about um, muses and groupies and Mm -hmm. artists and the connection between all three. So what's your uh, what's your take? (laughs) Um, I I'm a big fan of the muse slash artist. I think I think there's something really fascinating about. uh, a, a, a relationship that's like on the precipice of potentially being romantic, like precipitously romantic. Like there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of like energy that's very interesting to me in that um, dynamic between, between artists, especially if both of them, especially if both of them are artists, which mostly, you know, like these muse figures um, historically were artists and um were or, or were maybe like in the case of Anita Pallenberg also like um sorry Marianne Faithful um, musicians too and so that the dynamic of them plus whoever they're romantically interested in you know creating something it can be potentially very interesting like Jane Burke and Serge Gansborg is my ultimate favorite example thereof I think yeah no, for sure. Definitely. I think, um, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the whole like online TikTok internet trend of like the whole, oh, I want to be a rock star girlfriend. Like <laughs> I want to be a muse, like that whole, it's like, mm. it's very reactionary because it's kind of like a yeah. pushback to like the whole um, girl boss, girl the artist. Yeah. yeah. So, so over the girl boss dream, ready for him. <laughs> <laughs> ready, ready for a, yeah. Rockstar girlfriend is cool. Rockstar girlfriend, but like, I always feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of these historical female muses weren't just rock star girlfriends. Like they were maybe like the coolest rock star girlfriend. Like that was just kind of at the time, a girlfriend, girlfriend, Bianca Jagger. 
True. That's true. She was just, she was just like epitome of girlfriend. I don't think she, I don't think she really um, made art or music or anything. I mean, like I'm reading the Warhol diaries and uh, from that, I wasn't able to glean whether she did or not. Oh, I love that book. It's so great. It's really good. <laughs> mm. It's really good. But no, no, I don't, I don't think she was an artist. I think she studied international um, she said like international relations in Paris. And that's when she met Mick Jagger and then she just kind of married him and then she divorced him and just used his name to like promote her like humanitarian causes basically. Exactly. Yeah. But it's really funny, like in the Marian Faithful memoir that I made you read for this episode. Yeah. Um, like when she I'm like, so glad I found a copy too, because you were like, it's sold out. And I was like, that is a challenge. Like I love getting a, getting my hands on a sold out book. So I was I was really excited when I um, found a used copy. I had like a booger on page eight or something. Oh no. Mine was also a used <laughs> copy because I think they're out of prank completely, which is a pity. Like she wrote another memoir in the nine. No, I think this one came out in the nineties, but she like wrote another memoir way later and it's a lot more polished I guess like in, oh, in the other right, version okay. of the memoir she's a lot nicer about all the people involved but this one is very raw <laughs> she's yeah 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 she's a, she doesn't hold back for sure <laughs> she really doesn't but I find it really funny like um I don't know if you notice like from page to page like on one page she'll be like oh but Mick Jagger like you know but he was really nice he was like a really nice boyfriend who was really nice to me and then two pages <laughs> later she's like no he was like the most evil person like I hate him <laughs> like, it's very emotional but it definitely um, is. Yeah. But there's a really funny bit in the memoir where after like they had already broken up and he got like he married Bianca and Mary did a concert with David Bowie. And then later on, they went to the Stones concert and she like went backstage and she was dressed as Mozart. And <laughs> she came across like Mick and Bianca and she felt very like judged for health. And she was like, Bianca was so stylish. And she was. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there was one there was one part where. um I, I don't know if it was when she was dressed like Mozart or another similar part, but she was at a mix show. And um, basically the, the the paragraph is like, and I went into his dressing room and was sitting on the dressing room table. And uh, I felt humiliated when he told me to leave. And I was just kind of like, I don't, I mean, you did go in there and like, I don't know. It's like you put yourself in the line of fire, girl. Like, what are you doing? Um, you know, yeah. No, it was the same concert when she was dressed as Mozart and she was like sitting right. at his <laughs> dressing table and he was getting his makeup done. And there's another line that he says in like, like in that bit as well, where he's like, but, um, Marion, I'm getting my makeup done. You of all people should know that. <laughs> and then she yeah, like leaves completely humiliated and like cries in the rain or something. The book, as it progresses, makes one more and more and more and more uncomfortable. Like, I think it's really evident that they had some kind of that. I, I think her insecurities become like so palpable towards the end of the book that, I mean, it, it does a really great job of bringing it across because you do feel like noticeably uncomfortable as the yeah. book progresses. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's really funny actually, because like I read it for the first time a couple of years back, like I think it was during the first, lockdown yeah it was during the first lockdown mm -hmm. and I was like really I mean I was really into like Anita Pallenberg and performance the movie and yeah. like the early stones and stuff and then I came across this book and I yeah like bought the last copy I could like see on eBay I was like so obsessed <laughs> with it and when I read it for the first time I didn't notice how insecure she comes across mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like now rereading it like a week ago I was like wow like 
it does make you very uncomfortable. I kind of had a very similar reaction to it this time around as I did mm-hmm. to, I don't know if you've ever read Kim Gordon's memoir. I um, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Mm. Like I, was, I actually really liked it, but again, yeah, so much. Um, I mean, the beginning starts out really good. Like she's, I don't know where she, t- especially the parts where she's like, you know, friends with Mike Kelly and she's a Cal Cal. Is it Cal arts? Yeah. She, I think she's a Cal yeah. arts. Yeah. And Sadly, as the relationship with Thurston Moore declines, the her her so does you know her trust in herself and like the way she writes about herself and that stuff is, I don't know. Growing up as like a child of, um, I mean, actually saying child of divorce is wrong because my parents um, remained together until like a painfully late age. But I grew up with like a cheating father and seeing what that did to my mother's self-confidence over like these decades was horrifying, like really horrifying. And I think like a large part of like my big commitment phobia, like stems from just uh, this fear of like a man being able to if you like, you know, are in like a long-term committed relationship, having that power over you to like, just, you know, and these are very talented, creative, brilliant women, you know, and then um, throughout their declining relationships, they're like placed in these, you know, awful positions, but, but they're, they're, they're placing themselves there too. Cause it's like their emotions are so strong, I guess, towards, um, uh, you know, this, Sorry, my dad texted me and it really threw me off. I'm like, oh, I'm talking shit about him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like oh, talking shit on him. I'm like, oh, he was he was a great dad. He was an, a great, great dad. Um, you know, I mean, they they had their hearts. They married super young. They married after like six months. Um, I came a lot later when they were like in their 30s. Um, they married in their early 20s. Like, obviously that comes equipped with like a whole slew of problems. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, all relationships are very complicated, but I think it's really interesting how that like, yeah, like Kim Gordon's memoir and Mary Faithful's memoir, like they have a lot of similarities in that way. And those women, like, as you said, they were artists in their own right, like with their own, like significant, like creative outputs and stuff. And even just like, like they weren't traditional muses in a sense yeah. that we tend to think of muses in, right? Like they were still, it's, but I mean, I guess it's a bit different with Marion because she makes like a really huge point of saying that she kind of gave up on all of her creative pursuits when she started dating him. She kind of threw yeah. herself into a relationship and was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna do anything anymore. I'm just yeah. gonna hang out basically. He's gonna take care of me. But with Cam, especially like, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, do you think that's, um, basically just like female nature to invest yourself so much into the relationship and like, <laughs> like, you know, like the Lana way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think, I mean, it is, it is hard to say because I've also witnessed it the other way around where like a guy will completely invest himself in the relationship to the point where you feel so responsible for, that person having taken on such a big investment that you then subsequently like begin to pull back because it's just almost too much responsibility. Um, and that, you know, will probably make you nervous <laughs> or, or like incite um, kind of anxiety. Um, but generally 
I would have to say like the more accommodating party is usually a female, right? Yeah. Like it is kind of a classic female trait to be like, well, this is the love of my life. And I don't really care what I do with my life now that I have him. (laughs) I mean, especially I think when it comes to like, yeah, like, I don't know, artists and like creative partnerships, especially when you kind of like, because obviously like Marion had a career before she started dating Mick Jagger, but then that career was kind of very much controlled by the industry she was basically Mm -hmm. like an industry an industry plan like a pop star yeah like a manufacturer pop star like it wasn't wasn't much creativity involved in that at all and then the rolling stones were like making history and you know like doing all these cool things so i guess like anyone would feel kind of on the periphery of that like even even if you take anita pallenberg like someone who's always portrayed as like this larger than life like um Six Rolling Stone, like yeah, made their whole image kind of person. Th- like you still got yeah. I mean, Marianne also like one has to say like she wasn't happy doing these shows. Like she wasn't happy with her music, with the career, with the with the song choices necessarily. Like like you're saying, she was kind of a plant, but like she also didn't have much artistic freedom or dominion over what she was doing. So. I think Mick and traveling with Mick and being with Mick was the like very clear, more attractive alternative to her career kind of like hobnobbing around playing these various shows in the UK with like, um, cause she only really came into her own and like songwriting and so on and so forth later on. Right. Yeah. In, in New York. And so when she was living in New York and a lot of the songs that she was doing in the UK were kind of songs that, the label had written for or like had gotten somebody to write for her. Yeah. yeah. If I'm not, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, I no, did no, no, speak in, in Barcelona <laughs> in like a day. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. You're completely right. Like, um, yeah, her first hit single was like written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, um, like for her, like basically like, yeah. Um, and then she didn't write any of her songs until like the late seventies after she spent like 10 years being a heroin addict on the streets. So and like crazy. That part is so crazy where she like lives on the wall. She's like, I live on the, I lived on the wall. And you know, when people would ask me, Marianne, where do you live? And she's like, I lived on the brick wall. I'm like, what? Like, what is, what is going on at this part in the book? Like, it is so it is so bizarre I mean there's all these like there's so much like folklore surrounding that period of her life like apparently when she lived on the wall she became very close friends with Francis Bacon who would like pick her up every other day and like bring her to his house and like make her tea and like feed her sandwiches and like talk to her (laughs) so like but it is kind of I mean I don't know I think I mean I've taught like and just generally, like on this podcast, yeah. I kind of talk a lot about like archetypes and how, and like personas and how by adopting archetypes and personas, you kind of seal your fate, so to say. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you box yourself in, into this label of like a muse, uh, an artist, a bohemian, it's kind of like you, yeah, like you manufacture your own fate by doing that. And I think yeah. like, and I think with like, like sort of like the bohemian drug addiction arc. She very much like, I mean, obviously addiction is a disease, blah, blah, blah. But like, she very much did it to herself too. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's really, there's very deliberate points where she 
states that she wanted to invite that into her life. You know, like she, she's really like, and now I decided I just wanted to do drugs. And also I think her ability to, um, sorry, my phone. Hello, Sophie. Is this you? You seem to be the face of everything in Vienna. Every old boyfriend would have a hard time forgetting you. Wink. Hope you're, I literally (laughs) don't know. Hope you're well. Oh, it is my face. Yeah, right. <laughs> Boy. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> it's like a part perfume. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, okay. Um, I need to put my phone away because it really ruins um, my train of thought. Okay. That's ambience though. Yeah, she was so, she, she, she literally, I mean, there's parts in the book and like you're saying, obviously addiction is addiction. And I don't mean to pass any type of blanket judgment on the struggles thereof, but I think a big part of why she was able to kick it so quickly is because it was really something that she was deliberately seeking out. Um, I mean, I did a, I did a podcast, uh, like a few months ago for, um, drug cult gang. And I, I also talk about it. Like there is something very appealing about like addiction or drugs in how it is or at the time also how it was presented. Like there's a lot of, a lot of these like deterrents from drugs actually very much glamorize them and make them cool. And I think Marianne very much acknowledged that she was like, there, there was something very appealing on a purely aesthetic level um, about that type of substance abuse. Of course, I think she got in over her head, um, you know, also like the death. Wait, sorry, you're like frozen. Can you hear me? Oh, no. Hello? Hello? Can you hear I'm me? On. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. You're like froze for okay. a bit. Oh, no. I hope the recording's okay. Um, yeah, the recording should be fine, but can you repeat what you okay. were just saying? Like, um, So I was, yeah, I mean... A lot of it was very, I think, attractive to her on a purely aesthetic level. And then later on, I think she did get in over her head and was actually addicted to drugs. Like the stuff that happened in New York with um, with her boy, you know, the guy that she was seeing at the time, like the, the suicide and so on, or, you know, his hallucinations that caused him to jump. Yeah. Um, that was obviously, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't even mean to put that in, oh, she wanted that or like, that was aesthetically yeah. interesting for her. Obviously, um, you know, addiction is very real and for irregardless of the reasons that attract you to it, um, it will be really difficult to like, you know, manage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I don't think, yeah, no, I think you're completely right in saying that like it's a lot of people are attracted to it for aesthetic reasons. And also like it provides like, I think addiction, like the addiction arc provides a very clear narrative. And, you know, for someone like Marion, who, I mean, is very like transparent about having wanted to have like, you know, an exciting yeah, life, like yeah, a life full of stories and whatever, and having growing up in that way, like I think the narrative that it provided for her was definitely something that she, yeah, like deliberately sought out. And like, there's also like multiple points throughout the book where she talks about like being obsessed with like William S. Burroughs and like reading The Naked Lunch and like being like, oh yeah, this one I decided yeah. like yeah, this is the kind of life like I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna be a junkie exactly. in the street. Like exactly, 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 exactly. Like these, these, I mean, these things are like, 
yeah, like reading that or like reading Charles Bukowski or like, I don't know, um, watching like Requiem for a Dream or like Christiana F. Like those were all things that I really like as a teenager, I was like, wow, like awesome. You know, like, so I, I really like, I'm, I'm speaking from like a personal level when I'm like, there are really just like these purely like aesthetic reasons to invite that type of stuff into your life. Oh, 100%. Um, and I, I fully, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's definitely something that Marianne was doing. I mean, I also was like obsessed with Christiana as a teenager. I've read her book. Like <laughs> it's supposed to be like the story of like warning, um, teenage girls, what not to do. And then you're like, wow, I guess heroin's like cool. <laughs> I mean, what's not, I'm, but then when you watch interviews with her, like with Christiana F and it's like, she's always like, well, yeah, but I mean, like, um, heroin, you know, gave me so much. Like if it wasn't for my addiction, like I would have never, you know, would have never written this book. Like I would have never, <laughs> I would have never become famous. <laughs> yeah. famous. And then she lit, like, she still loves, a, like lives off the money that that book made her. Like she so still gets crazy. like 500 euros a month from it. So like, I mean, technically like, yeah, it gives you like an escape from like, yeah ordinary and the average like mundane existence it's totally understandable and it's like yeah and it's like I mean also with Marion like I don't know if I'm like imagining like imagining her Mm -hmm. if I remember it correctly but there's also like one bit in the book where she talks about how like like where she says that it's like oh if it wasn't for heroin like I would have never left Mick Jagger like that was like the only I, I actually don't don't remember that but um uh, I actually don't remember that, but they were also like, what, what, what has to be said, like they were all also when they were together, they were doing so many drugs together. It was, it was just that period in time, like also Keith Richards and, um, Oh God, my brain is just blanking. Uh, Anita Palmberg. Yeah. Um, they were, it was a whole crew of, you know, like they, they literally said like, Oh, and then we would pick out some crazy outfits and like go and drop acid. Like that was, that was like a weekend. That was like their Friday night. Like it was so commonplace that it almost seemed like, um, impossible not to fall into that kind of pattern, you know? But do you think that kind of lifestyle just, I mean, to like bring it back to like the whole muse thing and stuff, like, do you think, that kind of lifestyle and that kind of like narrative arc is forever going to be intertwined with the idea of being a muse and like being someone's inspiration. Like, do you have to self-destruct in order to inspire other people to make art? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if you look at like fairly, like, I mean, I don't know how clean Jane and Serge are, but like they're publicly fairly untarnished. Um, and I mean, okay, like we know that Serge like drank heavily or whatever, but there's no, there's no like stones level, I think drug abuse or whatever. Or look at Andy Warhol. I think Andy was one of those rare people that was both muse and artist in one. And he was famously, you know, he drank, but also pretty much just socially, like it wasn't, it wasn't like he, you know, he really actively took drugs. Like, you know, in the, in the book, he definitely says that people would accuse him of it. And then he'd be like, no, listen, like, here's how I got out of doing drugs. Like I would just fake, um, you know, I would hear, here's still the pill or whatever. Like he always had like some <laughs> trick up his sleeve. So I, I'm really reticent to link those two simply because um, I personally would think it's really 
ashamed to say that there's such a big link between creativity and like the necessity to do drugs. Um, and also I don't think it's necessarily true. I think a lot of the deepest purest creativity comes from like a really clean place of like devotion and belief. And, um, I think it's almost worse to tarnish that purity with substance abuse. You know, you're almost muddying the signal that you have to open yourself up to these channels of creation by doing drugs. You're actively causing abrasion to them. That's, that's also like my personal opinion on, on it. You know, like I don't, I don't, I don't think in any scenario in my life um, ever has any type of substance made me closer to, you know, artistry or, 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 or music or, or being able to like channel any of that. But do you think like, cause you're looking, I think, mm, I mean, for the people that create the art, I think that's true. But I think if you're the object of someone's admiration or adoration or Mm -hmm. you're the inspiration behind the art, like, I guess I'm wondering whether it's even possible to like survive being someone's muse without relying on other things to support you. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think, I think that's, it's also kind of circular though, because a lot of the times people are drawn to these, these aren't just like muses historically aren't just like beautiful people that become the object of, uh, I don't know, an artist's attention. Artists are usually drawn to muses because there's something harrowing or something broken or something um, already out of the norm for them. Like, like take Edie Sedgwick, for example, like she already had like a slew of like the, the reason she was so fascinating is because she was troubled is because she had hardship in her life, personal hardship or like mental hardship, whatever. Um, and I think that's more kind of like the area, like, it's not like, you know, like, um, like Mick's last wife, uh, Jerry, right. Jerry, I wouldn't even consider her a muse. I think she was like a very good caregiver, a very good mother, but you know, there was none of the, I don't think she was particularly troubled enough to be considered a muse because simply there wasn't, I'm not saying that like, you know, pain necessarily, (laughs) people can't be muses, but like, you know, I mean, even in artists themselves, like something has to, something has to be troubled. I don't necessarily know if that trouble always has to be linked to substance abuse. Um, I think substance abuse is like a symptom of, you know, being bad at like combating or trying to like deal with like the struggles of everyday life um, and trying to escape from it. But uh, there's also different forms of escape that I think one can kind of partake in. I don't know. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm um, being really convoluted about it. No, it makes sense. It just makes me think of, I don't know if you've ever read um, I'm with the band, um, Pamela Daybar's memoir. Have you heard of it? I have. Um, But basically Pamela Daybar was like a groupie in the sixties and seventies. Like she's like 
been, I don't know, she's been called like the most famous groupie of all, I guess, because she totally isn't capitalized the, on isn't her it group. the story that like Almost Famous is based off? Is that the book that Almost yeah. Famous is based off? Yeah, right. kind okay. of, okay. like okay. partially. Mm-hmm. Like they borrowed yeah. some things from the book, but the book is basically, I mean, it's a very, it's a very personal book. Like it's a memoir. It's about her story of her like growing up in California in like the late 50s and 60s and like, you know, being obsessed with the Beatles and then growing up to like, go to like go hang out in like the sunset strip and like you know sleep with Jim Morrison and whatever (laughs) (laughs) like it's very like California romantic but Mm -hmm. she I think she's a very interesting figure she's still alive she's like in her 70s now Um, but she's an interesting figure because she yeah she never she never did any drugs basically like she stayed away from she completely stayed away from like that self-destructive part Mm -hmm. of those decades and I think, and it's really interesting because like, she's someone who like, um, yeah, it was like a groupie to the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. And she like went out with Mick Jagger and Jimmy Page and stuff, but she never seriously dated any of them. Mm-hmm. And they never mm-hmm. seemed particularly interested in her mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. much. And I wonder if maybe that's because she was too healthy and normal. Too right. Like, sunshine child. Like, you know, there was like nothing. Right. There was nothing uh, abject about her. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, we we obviously are theorizing here. We don't have any empirical data to suggest that, but... um, that would be another another point in our favor for artist uh, artist muses needing to be kind of troubled. Then again, like, was Jane Birkin troubled like that? Not really. Um, I mean, not really. But then when you think about it, like before she even, you know, before she even moved to France, before she started acting, she was already married. And I think she already had a child. So there was already some sort of past. Intrigue and past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a clean slate. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, she was very young, but Mm -hmm. like, yeah, she definitely wasn't a clean slate. And I think her first movie was Blow Up, like the... The 1967 mm-hmm. Antonioni. Antonioni. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in that, I think she's like 18 or something. And then I remember like Googling later and she was already married at that time. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah. That's also. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Marilyn Monroe thing where it's like they had a whole life before she, they became famous and then they just kind of <laughs> threw it away, <laughs> which does make her very intriguing in a way. Like, definitely. You know, Definitely. I mean, they're, 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 they're women that are so, their intrigue is so powerful still today. Like I, there's something so inexplicably fascinating about her just, and it really comes through in her music and her voice. Like there's so much, there's so much personality and character in, in her voice, in Jane Birkin's voice, for example, that you can't like, to me, I can't not want to listen to more songs of hers. It's yeah. And it's almost um, like a lot of it, you know, because I I kind of relate a little bit to it, not saying that my voice sounds anything like hers, but um, just this not necessarily being a singer, but still singing. And I think then, first of all, it's interesting because your voice ends up developing as you like sing and play more and so on. But the other aspect of that is also that I think there's so much more personality that kind of comes through because you haven't had formal training or like you just have a voice that doesn't sound like it would belong on the voice, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. But even if you look at all of those like men that became, you know, 
famous for their music. Like even Mick Jagger, like there's nothing, yeah. you know, he's not no. a good singer. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but you know, with men, I think people are a lot more forgiving. Like you would never, like people barely, barely, barely criticize male voices when they're super weird. They're just like, oh, that's so interesting. There's so much character. That's so fascinating. But seldomly is that used to describe female voices. Like if a female voice doesn't sound like Ariana Grande or whatever, people are like, why is she singing? You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Who allowed her? <laughs> who, who, who told her she can sing? You know, like what's going it's, on? <laughs> it's very funny. Like when you go on YouTube and you search up like Marion Faithful um, videos and you like read the comments under her like earlier songs, like um, as tears go by or whatever, everyone's like, oh, she has such an angelic voice. Like, you know, so beautiful. And <laughs> yeah. then you read the comments under like the broken English songs. And it's like, she really destroyed her ability to sing with all of the cigarettes and heroin. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like yeah well but that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that that's is the whole point. <laughs> yeah. But no, you definitely read about Jane Birkin. I think it's not just in her voice. It's also just in the way, like, like, you know, all those photographs of her and like the way she looks on camera, like there is the it factor. And I think that it factor is undeniable. It's so undeniable. And it's so un, it's so unplaceable too. It really is. Uh, it really is undefinable. Like you can't, you can't pinpoint it. You can't be like, you can't, you can't quantify. That makes it so interesting to me. No, definitely. But yeah, now I'm just like thinking about like the Pamela de Bar stuff. Like, um, I actually not to like not to be rude, but I DM'd her on Instagram and I asked her if she wanted to come on this podcast. And oh my goodness! Like, and she was like, uh, "Hi, doll. Um, actually, I have my own podcast." <laughs> and she like. She like plugged in her own podcast. That was kind of cute. I love that. Um, and she, <laughs> she didn't, didn't no. and because she had her own podcast, she didn't want to do yours. Or? She didn't say no. She was just like, I have my own podcast. That was it. <laughs> that's where the conversation ended. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's cute. That's cool that she responded. You know, like I read her book. That is really cool. Yeah. It, it meant a lot to me. So like, um, but no, I think now I'm just like, can't stop thinking about the fact that, yeah, maybe she was just like too normal and healthy to like, you know, to be yeah. able, because it's like, I reread, um, I reread, uh, I reread Marion Faithful's memoir. And then I also like, cause I had the Pamela de Bar book as an mm-hmm. audiobook, And I like re-listened to it before this, um, just to like, you know, just to, like refresh my memory, like give me, give myself some context. And it's like, I, when I first read the Pamela de Bar book, I really didn't like it. And I really mm-hmm. like Marion Faithful's book. And now it's almost the opposite. And I wonder if that's because like, I feel a lot more stable and healthy now. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, reading something that comes from like a stable place is like more comforting to me now, but like, yeah, just, just no, it, it, that is <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was, I was thinking this when I was reading the Mary and faithful book, I'm like, is part of me. So like disinclined or like, is part of this book, especially towards the end resonating with me so negatively because I'm in a place where I like, I'm actively trying to move away from like certain patterns and behaviors that are like evident in that book. Um, and whereas like th- this would have been a story that I would have really like, I, you know, reading, it, I was like, Oh, like I would have really found this appealing. Um, and then now I was just kind of like, Oh God, like, I hope she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's so true. Yeah. No, I mean, I had the exact same reaction. Like, yeah, reading it for the first time, I was like, wow, she's just like me. And now I'm like, damn. Damn, yeah, we're okay. all getting help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, she's definitely better. Like, if you watch interviews of her now, it's, it's really funny. There's this one um, interview on with her on YouTube where it's like, she gives like a little tour of her apartment in Paris because she lives in Paris now. Oh, and cool. I want to I see. I want to see. Um, I hope it's still on YouTube. But yeah, and it's like, um, and she gives them like the, the interviewer like a tour and they you know she has all these like old posters from the 60s like hanging on her walls and stuff and she like walks around and it's like you know posters of like the rolling stones and Mick Jagger and stuff and she's like clearly I'm not a sentimental person <laughs> and you're like um well it looks really cool it looks really cool oh yeah, yeah she looks like this. she's doing <laughs> her new album is called last woman standing i had no idea that's cool <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this is the most honest record i've made it's open heart surgery darling oh huh. that's cute that's um cute. she she also did a bunch of movies like she was uh, actually she was in marie antoinette like the sofia coppola movie she played um the queen mother so <laughs> whoa uh, yeah i had no i i really honestly i had um i had very i had very little idea about like who she was except for that she i knew that she was like um mick jagger's girlfriend so actually reading the book was very interesting to me because um i i think so often like in history these women that are fairly important or like significant and have these lives of their own then just kind of get lumped in with like oh well she was just his girlfriend like that's what you that's like the public knowledge uh, that one has but it's really interesting because even in the book like she acknowledges it herself like there's a part like there's a bit where she talks about like going to rehab for the first time and like being in group therapy and people were asking her about her story mm-hmm. and she apparently like brought a copy of like some rolling stones biography someone had written was like and like threw it on the floor and was like this is my story <laughs> like read this <laughs> oh god I can understand you know what I can understand that though because it's like imagine having to explain that over and over again yeah exhausting yeah. Like when people are like, so awful. tell tell me about yourself. I'm like, just there's like bios on the internet. And I'm not even like a person that's like <laughs> at a level where they can't afford to just like, you know, put on a little show and dance and like tell everybody my life story. Um, but yeah, I can see if you're Marianne Faithful, you probably have to tell a lot of people your story. So yeah. But it is she gets a she gets a pass for me for throwing <laughs> for throwing the <laughs> No, I mean, I think, I mean, Anita Pallenberg is like the other woman that kind of got, you know, um, consumed by like the Rolling Stones yeah. storm of like fame and fortune and whatever. And I find Anita Pallenberg like completely fascinating. There's only one biography of hers out there called She's a Rainbow and it's terrible. It's awful. It's so, so bad. It came out like oh, no. three years ago. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and like She's a Rainbow is not like, it's a Rolling Stones song, but it's not even a song about her. Like it's a song about Marion. <laughs> and they like mix that up and then they mix up her birthday oh, no. in the book. And it's just, um, I decided for myself that like, you know, if nothing else happens in my life, like one thing I definitely want to do is write the ultimate Anita Pallenberg biography. Oh, sick. That's really cool. That's really cool. No, that's such a good idea. Like why, why wouldn't you do that? 
even even (laughs) even if stuff goes well in your life why wouldn't you do that you know true yeah no it would be I think it would be a fun thing to do and like you get to like talk to all those people and it's like you actually have a pretense to do it (laughs) um but no there's so many yeah there's so many like fascinating women that like existed Mm -hmm. during that time period what's your um what's your take on Nico because she's like a very controversial I uh, truthfully, I don't know much about like Nico's personal history or personal story to really give, uh, you know, um, research educated opinion on her. I do really enjoy her voice, her cadence and her music. Yeah. I actually only listened to her later albums for the first time, like a couple of days ago. No way. Oh, I think she's so great. I, uh, I listened to a lot of her music as a teenager, a lot. Yeah. She's German. She's like that German appeal. She does. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Her voice is incredible. Like obviously I'd listen to like Chelsea girls and whatever. And like, I love Andy Warhol. So like I watched Chelsea girls, the movie, like probably like, five times. Like I used to watch it before bed. Cause it's so like disjointed and weird. And it's like, I don't know. It would always put me to sleep, but <laughs> <laughs> which is such a weird thing to say, but <laughs> now uh, I understand that. That's cool. Um, but yeah, no, I've never listened to her, like her later albums, but it's incredible. Like her voice. And yeah, as you said, like her cadence and that, like, I mean, I, uh, to like, give a little bit of my personal history, like I grew up in Germany. So like that also, oh, cool. that also gives me like a little, do you speak like, German? I mean, I, well, I understand German perfectly and I used okay. to like speak fluently, but I haven't really spoken it in a really long time. So now it's like very weird. But when I, um, like, I don't know, when I, like, get super drunk, I can speak fluent. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> so it's, like, my level of, uh, yeah, that's my level of uh, German abilities. But, um, no, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of, kind of, like, growing up, I think I, I mean, I grew up, like, during, like, the early 2010s and stuff, and, like, during that period, like, the whole, like, girl boss feminism, like, you know, like, women, blah, 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 all of that, I, for a while, I got really into that, where it's, like, where it was, like, oh, yeah, like, being a muse is, like, the worst thing ever, like, women should be artists, like, they should, like, promote their own artistic, all of that, like, Mm -hmm. and then, for a few years, I completely turned my back on that. And I was like, no, actually like, you know, um, like I was like a real reactionary. I was like, no, like mm-hmm. it all sucks. Like mm-hmm. that's not true. Like feminism, stupid, all of that. And now I'm just like kind of trying to find a balance mm. between those two things. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think now like rereading all these books and like looking back at this like phenomenon of like, yeah, like a muse and like the muse artist cusp, like, mm-hmm it kind of, yeah, just kind of is making me like realize a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think I, I, I can kind of relate to that in the sense that although, although I didn't like have a clear opinion on either of this, but I, like, I, I, I maybe it wasn't in, in so far like that I would, um, or, or that like I, I turned to like a way where I was like, oh, I want to be a muse or whatever. But like I none of the role models like there were there were no cool female role models for me, really, like that I would find interesting or like appealing. Um, and maybe the only 
like, you know, the, the reason I cite Jane Birkin so much is because like I was obsessed with her as like a 13 year old, 14 year old. And there wasn't really, I mean, save for like, oh God, like Alexa Chung, like there wasn't really, and she was kind of both. She was like muse plus kind of had her own thing going on, but there, there, I don't think, I don't think outside of that, like outside of like, then like the girl bossification of like a whole generation of women like that was so supremely uninteresting to me like I don't think I could have been more disinterested in pop culture at the time um you know I the early 2000s were kind of cool for that because like Lindsay Lohan and like Paris like they were muses that like kind of did stuff but that's not what they were known for like they were more known for I think they're, they're just kind of like their personalities. And ultimately like that, I think is what makes the role of a muse so appealing that you are not defined by what you do, but by who you are. And um, that's such a beautiful sentiment, isn't it? Like you don't like somebody because of the productivity or output. Like it's so, it's like the fundamentalist anti-capitalist statement that you could possibly make is liking somebody for their personality or who they are, irregardless of like, their productivity or their output or their contribution to society. Like it's very radical. It's very cool. That's a really interesting take actually. I never, I never really thought about it that way, but yeah. I, neither have I, just as I was saying it, I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, there's, there's a point I can synthesize here. Why am I not writing my philosophy bachelor on this? <laughs> instead of the climate crisis (laughs) no but you're very right yeah it is kind of like the ultimate I think it's also kind of like the ultimate female fantasy in a way to just exist just be liked yeah just be liked and exist uh, and be liked for who you are um yeah without having to like produce anything necessarily but it's also interesting you bring up a like such hung because I think she's someone who very much capitalized on like being known as a persona and a personality and like being famous for who she was she's like a really interesting like I don't know I like on one hand obviously like yeah being like a teenager in the 2010s and whatever I obviously like you know I bought her book like I watched her like oh yeah I loved it it. (laughs) I was so disappointed no truthfully I was very decided I'm saying I loved it I am I was actually very disappointed by it I was like really like these trite (laughs) accumulation of photo like not like lamography photos or whatever the hell and like like not even a not even like a diary entry like it was like it honestly it was so nothing like girl go ahead and give us absolutely nothing like that was it was absolutely nothing it was like the (laughs) urban urban uh, uh, urban outfitter whatever literature like you know it's like those books it's basically the books they sell there but it's like it's it was very it was very much oh remember that other one that was like um what was it called? How to be a Parisian or whatever? Oh, like, I, never, well, I, I didn't. I have. I'm not, I was unaware of that. Okay, what 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 happened there? Oh, it was basically. It was like this. It was very similar to it, in which it was basically like, like this little like photography slash like self help slash like diary entry book produced by these like three Parisian women. It was basically like how to dress like a Parisian, and it's like you know buy a white tank top and a leather jacket. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> wear ballet flats and a, and red lipstick. And you know, if your if, if your eyeliner doesn't come out right, that's okay. Like that that's kind of like, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Just roll with it. And it was like, and it had some really bizarre um, points in there as well. That was that were like basically like, um, you know, it's okay to cheat on your husband. It's the Parisian way. Like it was like. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Oh God, I'm going to find so a PDF funny. of it. I'm going to send it to you. It was really, yeah, it was really bizarre. <laughs> and like, wow. it was very much like, yeah, like inspiring women to like, you know, be, be their own muses, like be, like be Parisian, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was really, um, it was an interesting moment in history, but it was like a very similar book to that in that. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it was absolutely nothing, but I have, so I have, like, a love and hate relationship with Alexa Chung. Like, on one hand, like, yeah, yeah like, you know, as a teenager on Tumblr, her knee-high socks and, like, you know, like, the whole, like, Alex Chung oh, thing. Totally. That, that, that letter, was, I mean, can you ever forget that letter? It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, the no. ultimate, ultimate, like, muse artist letter. I mean, like, ha- also, how? Like, did she actually lose it on purpose? <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> i'm 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 a truther and i uh i am here to, to, to state that i think she deliberately dropped it because it was such a good love letter and she wanted to share it with the greater public or whatever i think i think she definitely lost it on purpose i agree with you i think also but that's my that's my problem with her see like yeah she is cool but she's cool in a very self-aware way. Like it's a very like 21st century, like, mm-hmm. you know, postmodern way of being cool where it's like, she knows exactly what she's doing, which is like, I'm not saying that like someone like Anita Pallenberg or Marion Faithful didn't know what they were doing. They did, but also there wasn't really any context or like any mm-hmm. mm, historical significance to what they were doing yet they were kind of crafting this idea of a muse groupie artist whatever like groupie as a word didn't even exist until the 70s like it wasn't no it was a very organic I think just like like um like what you're saying is so true because it really was just about like their existence that then became like this mystified kind of instance but with Alexa Chung like she very much knew all of these or I'm assuming she knew a lot of these attributes and then used them to her advantage or like played up certain aspects um, because there was like this fundamental um, knowledge of these kinds of things. Like she was like, oh, this is, but then, you know, what I also gravely disliked uh, was always that she immediately publicly came across as like, oh, like this is so lame to her. Like, oh, I'm, oh, it's so lame to be described as an it girl. It's like, girl, come on. Like we know, we know you're enjoying like, <laughs> you know, whereas like somebody like Julia Fox, for example, I think is really cool. Cause she's really like, I've wanted this. I'm an interesting person. And like, there's, there's both acknowledgement thereof, but then there's also like a very interesting self-assuredness where she's not downplaying it to the point of like, she's too cool for it, you know? Right. And that almost makes her cooler, you know, uh, the acknowledgement thereof and not like cringing at it or whatever makes her much cooler. 
No, I agree a hundred percent. Like that always turned me off the whole Alexa Chung thing as well, where it's like, yeah, you're right. It's like very like, oh, but you know, like this is so like, I'm, you know, I'm not a groupie. I'm not a rock star girlfriend. Like, I don't really care about any of these things, but it's mm-hmm. like, and she was very much, yeah, she was very much aware of what she was doing. Like even in it, like there are all these bits where she's like, cause I, I cause I reread it recently. So I'm not like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I would love to reread it. Oh God. <laughs> but there are all these bits where she's like, um, you know, like, um, I mean, I just love rock stars, you know, like I always go to like rock shows, like, like stuff like that. It's very, it's very self-aware, very much so on purpose. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is a huge, um, like, yeah, it's very much like basically that. I don't know. Sorry. I just also got a message. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, um, I'm going to finish your point. It's very, um, it's almost like, like she'll do all of these things, but like, she won't really cop to them like when somebody else says it they're like she's like oh that's so embarrassing I would never describe myself like that and I'm like but you kind of just should like whereas Julia Fox is just openly like yeah I date billionaires you know like I think that's so cool I I don't know I love her but she (laughs) literally called her book it like what else is that it's yeah and then here's the thing like she here's what also really like was irritating she was like well, she called it that as like a self-effacing kind of joke that, you know, both acknowledges, but then also like interplays with this notion that she's an it girl. But it's like, I think she very much enjoyed the role and um, like you're saying, cleverly capitalized on it. It yeah. kind of reminds me of this one um quote from almost famous <laughs> i don't know how you feel about the movie i i i've been so long since i've seen it i think i watched it once at like a slumber party i was so nervous to attend as like a teenager so uh it's really hard for me to even <laughs> say if if or what i remember from it it was a movie one of my ex-boyfriends really liked so i have it um he wanted to show it to me like on an airplane, like on uh, like, like we had like, in-flight entertainment. Yeah, basically. So like I have it in my iTunes library forever now. <laughs> like, so like, <laughs> so whenever I'm like going somewhere or whatever, and like, I'm, I don't know, I get bored. Like I'll just rewatch it and watch it multiple times. I don't even like the film, but like, <laughs> it just kind of like stuck with me forever now, but it's um, like, there's this one quote in it that, um, I think it's the Lester Banks character. He's like talking to the main character at some point. He's like describing like the death of rock and roll or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, like all these new rock stars, like they're so self-aware, like they're going to destroy the coolness of this moment. Like mm-hmm. they're just going to become an industry of cool. And like, I really feel like the whole like muse groupie, um, like it girl phenomenon yeah. is very much like an industry of cool to the point where it's like, no one can really be an id girl now because the moment you become one, like, yeah, you either, you either have to do it the Julia Fox way, which is cool, but it's not really the same thing where it's just like, oh, you're, you know, you're the inspiration of like, you know, like Anita Pallenberg is, was like the inspiration for give me shelter. Like yeah. you, you don't, you, you don't, you don't, you don't get to top that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, it almost is like that like it, it kind of like ouroboros itself or whatever like we're already out the other end like the the role of the it girl can't even can't even really exist right now because there's too much knowledge about you being like aware of being 
it almost. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. But I wonder if like the muse aspect of it can still remain you know like can can absolutely yeah I I definitely think so I think I think I mean like being a muse or like having musings um or having like inspirations like really is something that is not fine like finding things fascinating or like finding fascination in people or inspiration in people that's something that's not bound to like a medial state Whereas like maybe like a public version of that is, but I think artists being inspired by people is, you know, is human nature, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's yeah. I think that's a really beautiful. um, (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful aspect of it. I guess. Yeah. I guess you're right. I guess it's just like, yeah. Like the media image of. Yeah that kind of relationship or like, you know, like, um, yeah, sort of like a public awareness of it is now always forever going to be like tainted by the, Mm -hmm. by like, but by the self-awareness of it as a concept, like, although it's kind of like, it's kind of like the whole artist thing now as well. Right. Where it's like, like being an artist is not really about doing anything artistic necessarily or like creating anything, even it's really just like, Mm -hmm it's about like dressing a certain way or like, you know, like presenting yourself a certain way, basically. Like, I don't know. It was such a shock to me when I went to university um, and I went to like, I went to UAL, which is basically like an, like an art university in London. Mm -hmm. And like, it was such a shock to me where it's like, you know, like when I had first enrolled and stuff and I was like so nervous because I was like, oh, there, there's going to be like all these like cool and creative people. And they all like, they're all dressed so well and they're all like, Mm -hmm. all these things and whatever. And it's like, and then I kind of found out that that exact, that, that that's where it ends. Like these people mm-hmm, would mm-hmm. like dress a certain way and present themselves a certain way. But then when it comes to like actual, like creation, actual ideas, there's nothing behind it. Mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's just like the physical attributes and like the trappings of what makes someone quote unquote a creator. Mm-hmm, but there's really mm-hmm. not much behind it, which is actually, it makes me think of something. Sorry. I like one of those. Yeah, no, 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 no. But, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, um, please. This is really interesting to me. You know, like the whole like creative class thing where it's like all these yeah. people who are like, I don't know, like UX designers or like graphic designers yeah. and like all these people and stuff. And like looking at them, you wouldn't say that they're necessarily creative people. It's like, it's like the people who like wear, um, I don't know, like I'm thinking of like, um, men who like dress in like Uniqlo and like, you know, like no, no, I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. In like cameras and stuff. And they like, and, and, you know, they're like graphic designers, like UX designers or like photographers and they produce and they produce so much work. None of it is good, but they still have such like a large and impressive output nonetheless. And they all have like mm-hmm. YouTube channels with like hundred K thousand, like, you know, hundred thousand followers or whatever. But it's like, and then you look at like someone who presents as an artist, but then those people usually don't even produce anything. So we're just kind of like stuck in this limbo of like these completely, you know, opposing <laughs> archetypes yeah. that have like sprung up in the recent, yeah. Like the last couple of decades. Yeah, it is it is interesting because I think a lot of um a lot of a lot of the way that culture is communicated now is no longer through what one does, but rather like you're saying how one presents themselves simply because 
platforms have kind of dictated it as such. Like um, a lot of it is a lot of like, you know, a lot of how we present ourselves in everyday life goes beyond just the practices of a job or the practices of going to a workplace, but rather it's like how, like what's your online persona or like, how do you present yourself in a digital sphere? And you are able to present yourself in a digital sphere without actually having to necessarily always do anything. Right. It's just a presentation of self. So like from I don't know. I mean, like there's this very famous Irving Joffman book. Right. And a lot of his is, you know, like the presentation of self in everyday life, um, like really, really famous, like seminal book. Now it's not even in everyday life. It's just like kind of like the husk thereof. So like if you associate with a trend or like a movement, you can just kind of I call it the subway tileification of society, like this like homogenized aesthetic that is prevalent in like maybe every major like capital city. And like one of the reasons I really enjoy living in Vienna is because that hasn't like reached here. And I don't know if it ever will, because just simply the way like society functions here is just completely fundamentally uninterested. And like this, I I mean, at least I hope, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to, it's really hard and unpredictable to say, but like, um, a lot of it, like a lot of the ways that this like image of like, art I'm going to say art adjacent thing is presented or like muse adjacent is um really just like it boils down to aesthetics and that's also why like here's like another big point about about like my existence or like how I um enjoy like operating in the world like yes like if for, for especially like in my own sphere like my own dominion I definitely have like aesthetic irritability syndrome and like everything needs to be like a specific way in order for me to feel like I can um really work and create or whatever but um just because something doesn't aesthetically agree with like my tastes or whatever whether that's in art or music doesn't mean that it's bad and I, I know this seems so blatantly obvious but like a lot of the ways that people treat arts whether that's painting or sculpture performance arts or whatever a lot of the way people treat these spheres are does it aesthetically align with me or not and that's so wild to me because you're not only closing yourself off to um so many different potential um possibilities of like interests or like uh i don't know just experiences or um, you know impressions maybe but also it's so like closed off and like you know hive minded to like it, it really perpetrate like it really perpetuates not perpetrates it perpetuates like that bubble theory of like well, you live in your own bubble, but you also like what people like fail to realize that doesn't just count for like the political sphere. It counts for anything like aesthetics, um, you know, cultural, like it's so broad and it's so scary to me, you know, because <laughs> people are so reluctant to step outside of um, these like worlds that they're creating. 
Oh, definitely. I think that's becoming more and more prevalent. Like, I mean, I would call it the, you know, the Pinterest, I, I can't make a verb out of it, but you know, like the <laughs> Pinterestification of society, like where yeah. it's like, you know, you, the uh, you sort of you, yeah, you, you, you know, you express your interest in one thing and then the algorithm provides you with other things similar to that thing that you expressed interest in. And then suddenly like, you know, <laughs> before you even like realize it or notice it, like you're surrounded by basically that one thing, like different variations of that one thing that you mm-hmm. expressed your interest in. And there's barely any way to get out of that bubble. Like, especially like, yeah. you know, and I mean, especially like now, like most people spend the majority of their time online and like, mm-hmm. uh, obviously like, you know, people constantly talk about like, you know, like social media is negative, blah, blah, blah. And it's all true. Like we all know that I'm kind of, I guess I kind of have a very reactionary take on it I'm now. very neutral to social media. I, I think like it all really boils down to like, how do you use it? You know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think any technology necessarily comes equipped. Like this is also one of these things where like, we're so fast to pass like binary judgments on things as being either good or bad, but like, that's also not necessarily even possible. Like I, it all kind of boils down to how one functions and operates on these platforms. It's like saying, well, microphones are bad because they really amplify sound and like, that's not good, but it's, you know, it's like, you don't have to crank it all the way and like have feedback or static hitting you. Right. Um, so I, I think technology is like this wonderful thing that despite being built on a binary is wonderfully unbinary. So what you make of it is really kind of like up, up to you. No, I, and it does have its drawbacks. That. Like for sure it has its drawbacks. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I think, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find anybody that's impervious to that, but still, um, I always like, I always get really, I don't know. I'm always like, Oh, poor technology. When people are like, Oh, social media sucks. I'm like, does, does it? Or like, they're like, Oh, it must be really like, it must be like, like they, they'll do like a thing where they're like, oh, it must be like really difficult being like an artist and like having to be on social media. I'm like, no, I'm not like a nepotism baby. Like if, if it weren't for social media, I don't know if I, if I even like have the ability to reach people at all, you know, like how, like yeah. how would I, it, it really has democratized a lot of art and culture in an, obviously it's difficult. Like obviously that that's a loaded statement that does have its drawbacks, but it's not altogether a bad thing, you know? No, a hundred percent. Like I was just, no, definitely. I mean, like even Twitter, like it's given me so much. Like people are always like, yeah, it's like a hell side, but it's like, yeah, but also like, no, like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for it. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I think, yeah, no, I have a very reactionary take on it to the point where sometimes I'm just like, no, actually it's good. <laughs> like social media is good. You don't get it. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, I, I don't know. I think it's just, I think I'm mostly just concerned about like the aesthetic repercussions of it. Mm-hmm. And like, as you said, because yeah, it really does. It really people. does flatten out culture too. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And it like really boxes people in it. And mm-hmm. it's like, and also just like, you know, like the way that it has globalized culture to the point where it's like, like, um, like, you know, the, the, wait, sorry, what did you call it? The subway, subway tilification yeah. of society. <laughs> like, 
I mean, even here, like I live in Tallinn, Estonia, like we have that, you know, and it's like, we're, people don't even know where this country is. (laughs) So that's how bad it is. Like, it's just, it's gotten, yeah, it's gotten to like every little aspect of it, but it's like, I mean, I don't know, like on one hand, I guess, um, I mean, sometimes it like makes me feel insane. Like I grew up like, you know, yeah, like idolizing people, like, I don't know, like Kate Moss or whatever. And I was very much like the only person out of my friend group who did that. Yeah. And like, now you go on TikTok and it's like, that's all I see. And I'm like, wow, like, I guess I'm really not that special. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And like, you know, like all like the whole like Parisian chic, like French, like Jane Birkin aesthetic obsession and like, you know, like the whole like, like all of that is just like all over the internet. And like, it does make me personally feel very insane sometimes, but then also like, but then also like, you know how a couple of years back people were like obsessed with saying how everything was like really ugly, like in the 2010s, mm-hmm. like everything was really ugly and people like, I just remember like all these like memes and stuff. And like, I mean, like, at least on like the reactionary side of the internet, it was always like, oh, you know, like culture is so ugly. Like everything is like super ugly now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now I think it's kind of <laughs> the opposite to the extent where it's like. I don't know, just like looking at my sister and like her friends and stuff. And she's 13, like she's about to enter high school. Like they're so obsessed with aesthetics and it's like mm-hmm. a very sort of almost um, like obsessive, like controlling way where it's like, you know, like, um, like a coffee cup has to like look a certain way. Like everything has to look yeah, a yeah, certain yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, 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 totally, like, totally. Yeah, it's like, very, it's very aesthetics driven, which is also worrying, yeah. And on one hand, like, I guess that's a very understandable reactionary thing to happen to the whole like uh, 2010s. Like, you know, aesthetics don't really matter. Like it's all about like um, the content of the thing (laughs) phenomenon. But like now it's like, yeah, now it's kind of the opposite to the point where it's like, yeah, it's also worrying because like how are, how is any, things might not be ugly anymore, but they're still the same. Like it's the same images we're recycling. Like, you know, like how many... Parisian chic, like, um, I don't know, basket, like Jane Birkin striped t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How, how many realization dresses can be worn by the same people? Like, no, how much of the same realization dress can be worn by so many different people? Um, yeah. Yeah. Not to say yeah. that I don't like their dresses. I do, but no, like, no, no, no. Same. Like guilty as charged, right? Like guilty as charged. You know, I've, I've been there. Like <laughs> I have a white Christie in my wardrobe, like, <laughs> you know, but, um, but it is, it, it is just like this, um, you know, it, it is just so, but then I also wonder, like, this is also, you know, even though we're saying like, yeah, you know, a wide variety of women enjoy this kind of stuff. Is it really that wide? Is it that wide? Or is it just like a very particular brand of like online specific women that enjoy this? It's a very specific brand of online women and the majority of teenagers outside. Like, as I mean, when you go outside on the street, like, most people don't look like that, obviously. Most people don't care. Like, it's always, like, such a thing for me. Like, you know, when someone, I don't, I don't know how, um, like, how on Twitter you are, but, like, yeah. you I'm know. very like, on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, I spend a lot of time Embarrassing on there. <laughs> no, but I spend so much time on there, and it's always, like, you know, like, every other day, there's this, like, new discourse where it's, like, women, you know, like, wear this, and women do this, and it's, like, no, they don't. Like, have you gone outside? <laughs> like, no one looks like that. No, no one is like that, but it's, like, 
it, it is very online, but I think with teenagers, because all teenagers are very online, like it is very sort of worrying. Like sometimes I'll like, I don't know, like Talon is super tiny. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, um, like there's only like four places you can go where there's like okay. large crowds of people. And like, sometimes I'll go, I don't know, to like get coffee or something like one of the main squares. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I'll look around and it's like, everyone is dressed the same and everyone's dressed like me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> so sometimes it is very worrying and sometimes mm-hmm. it does genuinely scare me, but like, I mean, I don't know. Things are changing very yeah. rapidly. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I'm curious to see where it'll go. No, I'm absolutely same. I just, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very intrigued. I'm also just very intrigued by like the whole like, um, like obsession with like, yeah, like muses and like sort of like, um, like a level of passivity that has become popular quite recently like you know like the whole like my year of rest and relaxation and like yeah it, the, the girl yeah. blogger phenomenon where it's like very much like yeah it's about like female passivity and like <laughs> the strength that can be found in that I find it like I just wonder and like obviously like Lana and like that whole aesthetic like I wonder what will come of that in mm-hmm. like a couple of years <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely a weird I think time to you know, see and witness all of this stuff happening. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I'm definitely curious to see where it'll go. Do you have any other muses that you would? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really, I think David Bowie's so cool. I think all of the movies that he's done are so cool. Um, I mean, he really like ugh, that movie where he plays an alien, like what the hell? I love so that movie. Good. So good. Um, the man who fell, I'm like that movie where he plays an alien, uh, the man who fell, fell to earth or whatever. Um, he's, he's, yeah, he's like one of my all-time favorite muses. Gary, I mean, I know he's not like, <laughs> I don't know if he was anybody's muse, but like he's my, he's my muse. Um, Gary Wilson, who, whom I've had, um, whom I've had in one of my music videos is undoubtedly like, he's incredibly cool. I think he's, Mm, easily one of the most interesting people to me like most fascinating I'm, I'm trying to think who else I mean Gary Wilson had like this crazy career I just have to like touch upon Gary Wilson really he's had an unprecedented longevity for the type of music that he does um but also just like when you meet him like he's really just He's really just Gary like I think there's something so cool to me about somebody so uncompromisingly living living their life uh, like that. It's really, it's really admirable. He's, he's really cool. So talented. Um, that's about, that's about it. I think I'm, yeah, it's like the end of a day where I've just been writing a paper <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> my, my brain function is at like, uh, I don't know. And oh, I have a little injury on my lip. I don't know if you can tell, but I bit my lip earlier and like, I don't oh, know. No. It I hurts on the inside. <laughs> it hurts on the inside. So I've been like touching it the whole time, which obviously like exacerbates it and it makes it worse. Um, oh, no. I didn't even <laughs> notice that before you said it. <laughs> um, no, but that's cool. That's a small list, but 
but it's a, but it's a cool list. I'm like, wait, well, who did I list? I listed David Bowie, Gary Wilson, and my lip injury. Like, that's... <laughs> Um, It's an impressive list of inspiration. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, like also in painting, like, um, you know, a lot of like, who was Jackson Pollock's wife? uh, That was really awesome. Lee Krasner. Lee Krasner. Exactly. I love her. I actually genuinely adore her. I love her art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great, great artist. Love her art. And like, I think that's a perfect case of like, the cusp being the most exciting thing to me, like the cusp of me as an artist, like, and I don't know. I think there's something to be said about somebody that you're, and they had like a longevity in their relationship, you know, like um, for the most part. And I think there's really something to be said. And I think it was also the other way around, except maybe historically the term hasn't really been used for men like that, but like um, I'm sure that Lee was inspired by Jackson you know I'm sure Jackson was her muse for sure no definitely I mean I think it's very um I mean I hate to like bring it up again because I've talked about Courtney Love in like five recent episodes that I did but I mean I don't know how much like how familiar you are with her or like how much you like her or whatever but like I'm always like reminded of like how like she constantly gets accused of um like not having like you know live through this like her most famous more problem like most popular best-selling album like she basically people constantly say that she wasn't the one who wrote it but like Kurt Cobain did okay. and I found it I always and like when rude. you listen to the, it, it is very rude and when you listen to the album like you can kind of see where they're coming from because there's very like there's a lot of similarities between like um her lyrics and like her lyrical um, references to the ones that he made on the last Nirvana album but then it's like but then you think about it and it's like well if two people live together and you know yeah. they play music together and they write lyrics together and they, they live together like obviously they're going to be inspired by each other and obviously their work is going to be similar so it yeah. is kind of like yeah like I'm sure Lee Krasner was inspired by Jackson Pollock because I mean that's how Definitely. Definitely. I think, yeah, I think there's no real, like, um, yeah, there's no real like yes or no, or like right or wrong in this case where it's like, yeah, it's like a, there's always like an interplay and there's not like, who's to say that like the women weren't just as influenced by, I mean, but like also not in the sense where it's like, um, that they really like took something from, from the men. I think a lot of it is, yeah. Like you're saying, there's just like an interplay or an exchange of ideas uh, going on within their artistry. And that's super cool. 